0: Well, there are quite a few hymns in our hymn books on the subject of the love of God. I suspect you've all got your favourites. When I told Jane what I was preaching on, she's, she said, well, have you, you've chosen that hymn, haven't you? I said, yeah, I've got that one. And what about that one? No, no, I haven't got that one. And what about... No, no, I haven't got... <clears throat> well, we'd have had about eight or ten if we'd uh, had all of our favourites, and maybe more if we'd got hunting through the, uh, the hymn book. Um, but that's the... Um, the subject. I'm asking a question, really. How has God loved us? And it's a question you'll recognize uh, from the first chapter of Malachi that we looked at in uh, the midweek meeting um, a short while ago. And it kind of prompted me to think along these lines. Right at the beginning of the uh, chapter, we read this. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? So here's a people who have lost sight of the fact that God loves them, and it uh, it kind of made me think that that is a it's a real possibility. We can't say of of ourselves, can we? That you know, I I can I can never get to that position of doubting God's love for me because most surely I I I can be in that situation, and I need to garrison my heart and prepare myself and and be established in these truths that we find in Scripture concerning God's love for us. When we, when we doubt it, we're in a bad place, aren't we? We're starting to question God's love. We lack assurance. Our faith is weak. Our hearts are cold. And, and we can even get to the situation, like those addressed by Malachi, of, of, of this kind of rebellious questioning, of, of 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 God, how have you loved us? They say uh, to the Lord, which is a, a, a terrible place to be. Well, a good place to uh, to start if you're opening up uh, the, the subject of the love of God are the passages that I, I, I read, and uh, perhaps if you, you have your Bible open, I hope you do, just turn to Ephesians three and the passage that we read. There and it's, it's the passage that speaks of the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of the love of, of Christ, a, th- a theme that's repeated often uh, in the hymns in our hymn book, and you can understand why. And I won't read the passage a- a- again, I'll take that as, 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 as read, but uh, I think there is just certain keynotes that I want to kind of sound before opening things up in a little bit more detail. What do we learn from that passage? What are the big picture lessons? Well, we learn that Christ's love for us is very great. Uh, it's, you know, the, the width, the length, the height and the depth. It's another way of saying that God's love for us is immeasurable. Uh, one of the hymns uses the word, it's vast, unmeasured, boundless, free we learn from the passage that knowing something of god's love it's it's important for us it's part of being rooted and established as a christian and without that assurance of god's love for us we become we become flaky as christians we become vulnerable to the winds of adversity and and opposition it's a love that can both be known but in a sense can never be completely known. There's a, something of a mystery here, isn't there? That um, verse 19, it, the writer, the apostle says this, that we might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. We might know something that's unknowable. But well, we understand something of what that means. We can go so far, can't we, in understanding something of the love of God, and we want to do that. Um, but we know at the same time that we'll, in a sense, we'll never arrive. We'll always be on that journey of discovering more and more of the love of God uh, for us. Because at the end of the day, these things, these truths are unsearchable. The, 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 the knowledge, well, it surpasses knowledge. And then the other big picture lesson is, is this, that to understand something of the love of, of God for us is to be transformed uh, into the image of of christ verse 19 to know the love of christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of god what an amazing statement that that is and at least in part that has to do with the transformation of the believer into the likeness of of christ well i say that by way of 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 introduction really what does the Bible tell us about the love of Christ? I'm not going to stick in one particular passage. Um, most of what I say will be from the, from, the, from the letter of Ephesians, so you won't have to race around different parts of the, of the Scriptures. And if we go to Ephesians chapter 1, we, we learn this, that God's love began a long time ago. It's an electing love. Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So here's a love that began in eternity, past it began before the world was made, before the foundation of, of the world, it's an amazing truth, isn't it? So God's love for us began before we even existed, before we'd done anything good or or bad. God set His love upon us. He chose a people for Himself. This is the doctrine of election, isn't it? It's the doctrine of God's sovereign choice. We were chosen. We were adopted. We were predestined to be brought into God's family. The great truth of of, of adoption and this this all happened because god loved us it wasn't in response to anything uh, we had done we didn't even exist it wasn't in response to anything that we were going to do in in the future we don't want to go you know down down that route it was so, god's sovereign free unmerited choice and favor you may remember the verses in deuteronomy Seven and what uh, Moses there says of Israel is certainly true of us speaking of God's favor to his people it wasn't because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all peoples but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So why does God love these people? Well, he loves them because he loves them. He, he, he chose to do so, and the same is true of ourselves. There was nothing good in, in, in Israel as, as such, and there was nothing good in us. It's, it's God's... Pure grace and mercy shown to us. That's good news for us, isn't it? It would be bad news if God's favor was based on our righteousness, our good deeds, our, our, how, how, how good we are as, as, as individuals, because we're not good. We fall so far short of God's standard. If, if God's favor was based on anything we would do, well, we would never be recipients of God's favor. So, God's love began along time ago god's love is a redeeming and it's a forgiving love back in ephesians 1 verse 7 in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace now redemption in the bible has the idea of its of of deliverance of of setting free by the payment of of a price, a kind of a ransom. And, and, and the blood of Christ was, was the ransom price. He was a substitute for us. He took our place. Uh, his sacrifice was an atoning sacrifice. It was done on our behalf. He takes the curse for me. So when we're converted, we, what, what happens? Well, we're delivered from the slavery of sin and the consequences of that slavery the consequences being death and judgment and we can say well once we were slaves now we're sons of the living God and why is that the case well verse 8 because of the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight so God's love is a redeeming and a forgiving love Do we deserve grace? No. Um, If we did, it wouldn't be grace, would it? Do we deserve mercy? No. Again, uh, if we did, it wouldn't be mercy. Then God's love is love for the unlovely. We're moving into Ephesians 2 now, aren't we? And there's a picture of the unlovely at the beginning of, of the chapter, and you were we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind. We were by nature children of, of wrath. Many of us know that chapter well. It tells us that we were dead. We were spiritually dead not ill we were dead we gratified our sinful cravings we were objects of wrath just like everyone else that's the human condition in god's eyes no exceptions but uh, god has a love for the unlovely so we get to to verse four but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses and, and sins, you know, God. God looks down on the unlovely, and we're all in that category. We? we we are all unlovely in God's sight, uh, and in His great love, He drags us out of that, and He He saves us. And when he does that, it's not because some of us are uh, are more worthy than uh, others or some of us are not so bad as, as, as others. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins. God's intervention is down to his great love. So God's love is for the unlovely. God's love stoops down and it lifts up. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The passage in Ephesians 3 sp- speaks about the depth of God's love and uh, it's reflected, isn't it, in these truths God's God stoops down it shows the depths of his love for us but not only does he stoop down but he then lifts he he lifts us up and he he puts us in a great uh, position he raises us up with him and seats us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus we can't begin to comprehend the magnitude of what uh, God has done for us these truths are amazing are they not God takes a rebel, like you and like me, and brings that rebel into the presence of the living God. So God's love stoops down and lifts up. God's love is a wide love. When we get to verse 11 through to verse 13... Paul is starting to speak of the fact that God's love isn't only for the for the for the Gentiles, isn't only for the Jews, rather, it's for the for the Gentiles, for every nation. Verse 13 But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So it's not a selective love in the sense that that love is restricted to a nation. It's a wide love. The Gentiles are included. And as we work our way through the scriptures, we see this repeated time. And again, it's a gospel for Jew and Gentile, for men and for women, for black and for white, for clever and not so clever, for rich and poor. And so you could go on. And uh, you've only got to look at the... Uh, the makeup of people in a typical church and, and, and see what a, what a variety of, pe- of people it is that God saves. It's a wide love, and it's because of that wide love that we're sat here this evening. The next thing I th- I'd like us to note is this, that God doesn't just kind of do love it's not just an activity of his or or part of his character he is love that's what we read in the verses in 1 john god is love it's tough to get our heads around this he's not just don't think of god as you know sometimes god is if you like loving if he's he, he's he's in loving mode other times we might think well he's 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 wise and he's in wise mode or he's in holy mode or he's judging and and we kind of carve up the character of god in a way that we ought not to do god, god is god is wise god is light god is love so love Uh, permeates absolutely everything that he he does. He doesn't turn on this characteristic and turn it off again like we might with a tap. God's love is displayed in creation. It's displayed in redemption. His love is displayed in the trials and the difficulties that perhaps he brings into our lives. It's displayed in everything that uh, he does. So if we ever get to kind of thinking that God is not dealing with me or does not view me with love in his heart. We, we, we're wrong. We're starting, to, we, we're starting to kind of divide up God. But we can do that, can't we? He, fallible human beings that we, uh, that we are. So if we belong to God, then God will always act towards us in love. He can do no other because that's his very nature. And then God's love is a giving love, a sacrificial love. comes out in the hymns that we uh, sing and, and, and have sung. comes out in many passages of Scripture. I'm just going to read a few passages. You needn't turn to them, they'll be familiar. Um, but as I read them, just uh, just perhaps latch on to the... Uh, this, this theme that runs through all of them, that, that God's love, it's a giving love, it's a sacrificial love, it's bound up in the work and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians five twenty-seven: Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 1 John 4, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world. 1 John 3, verse 16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brother's. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You pick up the theme, don't you? John 3, 16, how could I miss this one out? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's enough examples, but they're, they're well-known ones. What do the verses tell us? Well, they tell us that the love of God is supremely displayed in the cross. How then do we seek to comprehend God's love? Well, we take a long, hard look at the Lord Jesus Christ and his life and his death on the cross, the place, as one writer says, where God's wrath and mercy meet. We think about it. We consider it. We meditate upon it. We chew it over. We ask God to make it real to us. We want to know the unknowable, at least in part. We want to go as far as we can in understanding something of God's love. It's not a bad idea. Take a hymn book home with you and read it and and look at how the godly hymn writers express this longing. Um, It's quite a consistent theme. I'll just read just a few sentences. Uh, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Here's the hymn writer. You know, when I survey, when I think about, when I meditate on the wondrous cross. Number 205. Give me a sight, O Saviour, of thy wondrous love to me, of the love that brought thee down to earth to die on Calvary. Oh, make me understand it. Help me to take it in, what it meant to thee, the Holy One, to bear away my sin. You, you get this longing, don't you, of the hymn writer to know and understand more and more of the love of Christ. And then finally, one other, uh, one other sentence. It passes knowledge that dear love of thine, my Saviour Jesus, yet this soul of mine, would of thy love in all its breadth and length, its height and depth, its everlasting strength, no more and more. I've got some questions uh, for you. I don't want you to put your hand up. Maybe a little nod or a shake to, so as I know you're paying attention. That might be a, a, a help. Do you deserve God's love? Can you can you earn God's love? You can't, can you? We, we know these things. Does God accept you as you are? Yes, he does. Are you justified freely by his grace? Yes, you are. You, you, you know these things. Uh, but, but do you really believe in practice what you've just assented to? I ask myself the same question. How do you respond when something bad happens in, in your life? You have a problem it could be a health problem a financial problem a relationship problem a work problem it could be a myriad um, item couldn't it um, and what you do well you you know as a believer well you you will we will pray about these things won't you you will pray and you, you will ask god to to help and rightly so but but when you pray what's kind of going through your mind possibly you sometimes pray and, and then you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm praying, but God's not going to pay any attention to me because my, my, my Christian life this past week or month or, or year has it's been, it's been pretty patchy. I've not had a good week. My Bible reading and prayer, they've been a bit intermittent. I've missed opportunities to help people out when I should have taken them. Maybe I missed an opportunity to say a word for, for Christ. And you go back th- through your, your, your week or, or the last month or your year, the, the last year or so and you think, quite frankly, I'm a bit of a disappointment to, to God. And it, and, it, and it affects your, your thinking as you, as, as, as you pray and your thinking becomes, well, God, I want to answer this prayer because I'm not the person that I ought Uh, to be that God God doesn't love me that much this week because I've been so poor. Um, We can get into that sort of frame of of mind, but but God's love for us is not based on performance, is it? It's based on our position in Christ. So even when we've had a bad week, we're no less loved by God than when we've had a good week. And, And yet it's so easy for us to get into this sort of legalistic frame of mind, and we ought not to do that, and it's not helpful For us, because then we we, we move into a kind of performance related religion. And what we're about is a grace-related religion. And God's love for us does not depend upon our performance last week or earlier on today, and so on and so forth. It depends on whether we've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. So God's love is it's unconditional, it's undeserved, it's unchanging. And we're to hang on to those truths and not drift, not be tempted to drift into this performance mentality. Well, briefly, how do we apply these things? Um, God's love clearly demands a response from us, does it not? And in essence, the the response is we've read the scriptures that if, if God loves us, we ought to love one another. So that's one obvious uh, response that God's love should be reflected in our attitude one with the other. And love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud. And these things should mark out our dealings with one another. And just in the same way that God's love for us is a a giving love, uh, our love for one another should be a giving love, a caring love. We should be prepared to put our hands in our pockets Uh, To help other believers, just as we would to help our own physical families. And if God has loved us as he he has done, then we should love him and and serve him. Romans 12 verse 1, we mention it many times. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, in light of the love of God for you, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship these are the natural responses of, of a heart that's come to know something of the love of christ i think it's tim keller who who said christian you are more loved than you can possibly imagine what a thought that is you are more loved than you can possibly imagine glory in it and respond to it We'll be singing in just a moment. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. You'll have sung it many times when you come to that line. Do you you mean what you say? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Is there a bit of you saying, well, that love shall have my soul, my life, my all.